The Big Ten has an $8.5 billion deal. Camp is over and the season is upon us. We'll have a special guest to talk about that coming up later in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance. Joining me as always, the erudite, the scholarly, the brilliant Johnny Genter. Johnny, Big Ten is the big conference on campus with an $8.5 billion TV deal that includes Fox, CBS, NBC, streaming service Peacock, Back up the Brinks truck, brother. Money, 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 money. Has Kevin Warren redeemed himself for the disastrous handling of COVID by making the Big Ten the biggest conference in the known universe? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. That's actually a really good question, especially when you consider like his how people view him. You know, like his his overall, uh, I guess level of of trust that people have in him i mean we dumped on him pretty hard during covid yeah i'm on record as saying the guy couldn't have possibly handled that situation any worse if he had tried to handle it worse so yeah (laughs) this came as something of a surprise to me that wait a minute we have a competent uh commissioner in a fully functioning conference here when it comes to the most important part of the whole deal right making the money well and it's also funny to me too that like people will they'll look at this and go wow that's a lot of money no way in hell kevin warren had anything to do with any of that there's no possible way but this is why the dude was brought on it was that's right and we even talked about that when he first showed up it was like he's got one goal and of course this is before COVID. but he's like he's got one goal which is to renegotiate all of these media deals well it looks like he's done that and in the process of making the conference eight billion dollars with a b uh, he's also added two gigantic historic programs to the conference, which again, I guess you can argue how much you know influence he had. I would argue probably a lot, giving these commissioner. A lot of these people are saying like, "Oh, there's no way he had a hand in it." I, I find that hard to believe that he didn't have a significant part to play in all of that. So, all of this said, I don't know that you can really fully forget how poorly he handled the COVID situation in general right and not not necessarily whether or not he made the right or wrong decision the fact that he made no decision mm. was really the worst thing that he did most of the time as they just didn't act um, but in this case he has act acted <laughs> he has act, he has acted and pretty decisively so you know if there's going to be a conference that keeps up with the SEC and the SEC will continue to expand as well it's 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 the big 10. That's it. He's positioned the big 10 to be the surviving, you know, significant conference in these, in the, in the future conglomerate that we're going to see here in college football. And that that's no small potatoes. That's a big deal to, to ensure the, you know, future survival of the conference as a whole, which other conference commissioners have not done. They have not been able to do that. Uh, but Kevin Warren has, and I think that's, that's something to be commended and also to be pretty impressed by, because this is some cutthroat stuff that's been going on the past couple of years and looks like the big 10 is going to come out of it pretty clean. Yeah. And the thing that to me is really interesting. If you go back, Jim Delaney really changed the media landscape and, and frankly, in a lot of ways, the conference and college football landscape, when he basically called ESPN's bluff over a media rights deal related mm-hmm. to the Big Ten Network. If you go back to the founding of the Big Ten Network, you know, ESPN was cock of the walk. They held all the chips. They basically said, this is what's going to happen in college sports. And Big Jim Delaney said, want to bet? 
and went all in with right. Fox, created the Big Ten Network. That turned out to be a cash cow for the conference. Yep. And, and really, in my mind, set up this gargantuan Titanic landscape shifting deal in which ESPN, for the first time in a generation, has no major presence in the Big Ten media rights deal. It's not to say that ESPN won't have anything uh, going because obviously uh, Big Ten will play teams and in, in its media rights deal so some games with big 10 members will end up being on the four-letter network but this gargantuan deal has nothing to do with the mouse house and, and i contend it all goes back to delaney basically saying bet me buddy and right. it's what what an incredible would you have ever imagined 10 years ago a big 10 media rights deal that didn't include espn no, I mean, that's absolutely not. And and you know what? You're right. I think you make an excellent point that it all starts with Delaney kind of just, you know, thumbing his nose at these guys and you're like, we're going to do what we want. And what's really what blows my mind about the Big Ten Network in general isn't just how, you know, audacious it was, because it really was a, a huge gamble on the part of the Big Ten. Um, because think about think about the context in which it launched. Right. I mean, this is like, like what, 2007, basically, when the Big Ten was considered to be a slow plotting afterthought of a conference that you know could not compete with the sec certainly maybe not even with like the pac-12 given how you know recently usc had dominated the conversation the big 12 even looked really really strong at that point compared to the big 10 the big 10 was often like people were calling it the worst power five conference sometimes mm. and then so they're going to launch a network in the midst of all of that when you know the brand of the conference as a whole is, is that, you know, probably it's lowest. I mean, Michigan was garbage at that point, yeah. you know, Ohio state was, was kind of reeling from these losses and national championship games. Um, and yet they launched this thing. People don't watch any of it outside of Saturday. I mean, if you look at some of the, <laughs> I know it's not necessarily like common knowledge or, or something that people decide that they're going to go ahead and do is, is to look up, you know, viewership numbers for weekday big 10 network programming but it's it's terrible i mean honestly probably more people listen to this podcast than watch most <laughs> of, i'm dead dude andy that is not an exaggeration and, and talking to bo about a lot of this stuff like bo bishop this is like it is really hilarious how few people watch anything that's on the big 10 that's not on saturday and it doesn't matter because the right. the rights that they secured and how they figured out how they were getting to people's homes via you know the cable deals and all that stuff that's all that mattered so they can put out whatever you know incomprehensible unwatchable stuff they want on the weekdays all that matters is saturdays uh during the college football season and that's enough to justify the entire enterprise and jim delaney knew that and they made a butt ton of money off of it. they still continue to make a butt ton of money off of that now they've parlayed that to an $8 billion shared media contract deal. It is mm -hmm. kind of amazing that yeah. they were able to maneuver themselves this way as cleverly as they did. And especially coming back from, again, a position of, of extreme weakness in terms of national perception. It, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. And you, you make a great point about the, the programming. The one thing I will say to their credit is that from the get-go, Big Ten Network, you know, had this commitment to carrying women's sports mm -hmm. and to carrying a lot of the, the what we've called non-revenue sports that just do, don't get the coverage yeah uh and and so while you know on the one hand some of that weekday 
you know, viewership numbers are probably laughable. And the other is somebody who covers wrestling as a noted, noted example. Uh, it's been really incredible to see how the landscape has changed in the last 10 years. You know, you go back 10 years aside from, I mean, really the NCAA tournament, you just weren't watching wrestling on television. It yeah. just, it wasn't happening that much, you know, or maybe an odd meter here, here or there that ESPN might pick up or something like that. But uh, now shoot, if the Buckeyes aren't on the big 10 network four or five times a season, people are really disappointed, you know, and, and of course streaming has played into that too. Um, but I was just, I was scanning here, all the things that uh, big 10 network covers that they wouldn't have covered. And of course, football pays for this. We, we know that these big rights deals, this eight and a half billion dollar rights deal we're talking about allows mm-hmm. the conference to, to be able to do that with its flagship property. I, it just blows my mind again, that ESPN is not part of this deal. Now looking at the other ripple effects from this big deal, commissioner, Kevin Warren was on record last week as saying the big 10, Hey, already in expansionary mode, picked up the two jewels of the Southern California crowd in, uh, USC and UCLA, why not? The conference expand to 20 members. Uh, Seems logical. We've talked about that quite a lot. The other thing that Warren said in his comments when talking to Bryant Gumbel of HBO's Real Sports would be this concept of taking this $8.5 billion that's floating around and maybe, you know, seeing some of it go to the athletes on the field who are the reason we watch these games. I was a little surprised, I think, to hear... Warren, and not that he said anything super, you know, declarative or concrete, it's sort of vague lawyer speak. Um, it surprised me a little bit that he would go on the record as saying that he could see that happening in the not so distant future. Were you, you know surprised? I, I was a little bit surprised by that to be so, and 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 I'm not super surprised that a guy like Gene Smith would say something like that, but yeah, Kevin Warren being that upfront about it did surprise me. I, I wonder if that is maybe him trying to i don't know at least acknowledge the reality of the fact that this is a lot of money this is a lot of money and it's not you know it's they can't hide from that number you know what i mean they can't be like well we got to cover this it's eight billion dollars that's when you're throwing around that type of money and i know maybe people will look at nil and they're like well there you go you're good to go um but that's certainly not the case for every athlete in every sport. And maybe the other, I mean, if I'm going to be cynical about it, I guess the other consideration that I could have is like, okay, well maybe we need to head off unionization off at the pass. You know what I mean? Like maybe if, if we realize, you know, if if we can try to convince these student athletes that we're on their side, that we are, you know, actively going to try to pursue a solution that gets more of you paid, then we don't have to worry about something like, unionization or you know some kind of collective bargaining or things like that and and i don't know maybe that's maybe that's another part of the strategy going forward is hoping that that isn't going to they can continue making hand over money hand over fist with these deals and then not worry too much about the logistics of uh you know having to negotiate what that means for the actual student athletes who are helping get that money. So that that's the cynical, that would be the cynical interpretation of that. I don't know if it's really accurate, but um, I, I, I agree. I was a little surprised by that. Well, and you know, and it's, he didn't exactly lay out a plan or a timeline or anything of that sort, but when Gumble asked him if he could see, you know, payer players in a pay to play model, uh, he said that's a conversation the conference needs to have specifically saying 
those are things we have to resolve. We have to, he reiterated. So I want to be part yep. of the conversation, which I think that's what you're describing. Being part of that conversation, if you if you do what the NCAA has done to date on some of these big issues, which is basically dither and kick the can and have some mm-hmm. blue ribbon commissions and never do anything, then you end up in a situation I don't think the conference wants to be in where well, maybe Congress gets involved, maybe state legislatures get involved. Sure. Think about how we got to the NIL era. It wasn't because proactive leadership on the part of the NCAA. <laughs> it was the exact, it, it, in <laughs> fact, the exact opposite of that. Right. So I, I think you're right that Warren maybe wants to be a little bit more proactive than that, or at least start having some things that sound like hints about conversations. And frankly, of course, some of that's probably the lawyer in him that if, if you, if you leave your constituents, your, your stakeholders, in this case, the athletes feeling like, Hey, their concerns are being heard, then maybe they're less likely to go off and do something crazy and try to force uh, the conference's hand. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you slice it. $8 billion is, is a big, big, big number. CJ Stroud is one who has spoken up. So we had kind of an interesting thing last week where you had Kevin Warren saying, yeah, we need to talk about that. You had CJ Stroud saying, yeah, we definitely need to talk about that. You had Gene <laughs> yeah. Smith saying, eh, hey, maybe we need to slow our roll here a little bit. They're, they're not surprising to me that Gene Smith would be a guy um, who would maybe try to inject some caution into whole, into all of this because $8 million leading to this discussion of paying athletes. I mean, the model is changing. The model has changed. What does this post-amateur model of college sports look like in order to keep some semblance of the sport we've all known and loved more or less for a century? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what, you know, what do you know and love, right? Like, what about college football do you enjoy? Do you enjoy, like, the pomp and circumstance and the tradition and, you know, the the actual teams and the the goofy mascots and you know, the uh, willingness to take chances with weird offenses and, and creative defenses, because that's not changing that that's all. I don't, I don't see that impacting any of that. Um, if amateurism is, you know, what you really enjoy about college football and then only an amateurism, like you're like, man, I really love the fact that these guys are getting paid. That will probably change. And then you'll, you know, you may not want to continue watching college football. That's fine. Um, but you know, for me in general, like, I don't think it's to the casual fan. If you're not really, you know, in the weeds and all this stuff and paying really close attention, I don't think you'll notice much of a difference, honestly, at least least in turn, you know, what you might notice as a casual fan is like, Oh, Hey, these games aren't being broadcasted on ABC anymore. Now I'm going to watch them on CBS. And that's probably the extent of it. Like nobody's going to know, you know, what happens is $8 billion. If you're only watching the product on the field. Um, so in that case, I don't think that it's really, I don't know. I feel like some of this is overblown when it just comes to the discussion around, you know, this isn't college football anymore. It's like, yeah, it is. it's the same thing. It's, it's, I mean, a lot of these guys are getting paid more, but I don't, I don't really see that much of a difference coming. I really don't. I'm, I guess I'm going to hold out some. Oh, I don't know. I I guess I have some reservations, not that I'm opposed to the players getting a piece of the pile because we're talking about $8 billion. 
right. dollars yeah. here. Yes. Like it's with a B. It, it's asinine to be like, nope, they shouldn't get any of that. Nope, like that. I can't. I can't do that. But I would say I'm probably more something will it's going to change i it can't not change yeah but like I, what, I use the what, example what would the, change like what I, you well mean? i i don't have the answer to that and yeah. and the example i'll use is look at how the olympics changed in sports where now you have professionals we'll, we'll use basketball as an obvious example right sure. so from the time michael jordan was earning a gold medal as a collegiate olympian to the time he was earning a gold medal was part of the dream team like right but those are two different Olympics. sports though right i mean you're talking about college again it's not like the college players are suddenly going to become you know professional athletes on the you know yeah, still I mean, to, on some the extent, you, to some extent you, you're right it's the the dilution effect or the concentration effect rather i guess i would say from college sports to professional you've you've concentrated the talent to such a high level uh the one percent of the one percent kind of thing yeah i i just don't know the interjection of money always changes things always it it, it it's never not changed things i don't know what the change will be and i'm not saying i necessarily even think it's bad but i, I mean there's a, there's a school of thought now that laments the quote-unquote corporatization of everything around the athletic department as it is you know mm -hmm. the 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 constant uh, marketing messages at a, at a game as an example. And so sure. I, I, I don't know, you and I had a chance to go to a minor league baseball game the other night, you know, and it's it, there, there's something different about the minor leagues versus going to a Reds game or a Guardians game. I don't know that I can describe it. It just, it feels different. Now that doesn't mean it's better. That doesn't mean it's worse. It just, it's different. Uh, and so I just assume that the injection of all of that money will change things in some way. I don't know what in way. Part of me says it will change it for the better because now it'll be more above board, not entirely above board, but more above board. We've certainly seen more transparency in NIL deals uh, than just mm -hmm. the, the vaunted bag man. By the way, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but okay. So NIL, I, I understand. I, I just want to make my last pitch here for anyone who might be skeptical about NIL. Okay, so the coldest right? <laughs> you, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited about some of this stuff. You have to tell like, people who Nicholas you're talking Crawford about though, in case out. they are not familiar with this particular story. Decoldest Crawford, which is his name. He is Decoldest, that is D-E-C-O-L-D-E-S-T, Decoldest Crawford, wide receiver now at uh, Nebraska, I believe. And comes out with this NIL ad for like, what, like an air conditioning company? which is yeah, incredible air conditioning company. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's genius. And then, and then Bijan, uh, Bijan Robinson, who, <laughs> or, who you might know, uh, Ohio state running back target, uh, comes out with Dijon, uh, mustard as a, as a, uh, Dijon's as a, Dijon. I think it was something like that. You know, it's, it's, so it's, um, what I gotta look it up. Hang on. It's, 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 uh, yeah. Bijan Mustardson. Okay. Bijan <laughs> Mustardson. How can you be mad at NIL? How could you possibly look at NIL and go like, nah, this isn't good? No, it's bad. I'm sorry. Bijan Mustardson. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. That, that alone justifies the entire experiment. So, anyway, sorry. It's, I didn't mean to interrupt. It, that, I just that, wanted, I mean, I want to make sure that we get that at, in there. That, that is at least. Um, 
That is at least as as good as Urban Meyer being the breakfast head coach for Bob Evans. Really, I mean, <laughs> it's really it's really a shame that he like oh. overlooked impropriety on his staff because that would have been very funny, and we would have we would have made a lot of hay out of that. That would have been pretty hilarious. I I definitely don't think C.J. Stroud is the last player, uh, not just at Ohio State, but anywhere that you will hear talking about the need to uh get the players some piece of this eight and a half billion dollar pie joining us on the hotline now i want to bring in our special guest for this episode i teased it at the top of the hour the man with the plan the guy who knows more about what's happening inside ohio state university football headquarters than anyone breathing who is not actually employed by the football program himself please welcome dan hope the head of the beat team the the man himself who has been at camp now for two weeks straight. Dan, welcome to the Dubcast. We were just finishing up a conversation about Kevin Warren's $8 billion deal, changing the landscape of college football media uh, for the foreseeable future. One thing I want to talk to you about before we get into the nitty-gritty of the actual game on the field, Gene Smith had some comments last week talking about eliminating divisions and maybe changing the timeline of scheduling future conference games. Uh, my, my question for you is, what what's the timeline look like um after you heard gene talk about it and other re- uh, sources you heard talking about some of these changes that may come to the schedule in the not so distant future how far out are we talking about for some reshifting of the divisions and conference title games and scheduling and so forth yeah i mean i think we're talking about next year i mean i i think things are are going to change sooner than later i mean i was honestly a little bit surprised that it didn't change before now because we saw, you know, when the NCAA announced that teams did not have to have divisions anymore to have a conference championship game. I think the PAC 12 announced that day that they were not going to have divisions anymore. So I was actually a little surprised that they didn't make that decision by now, but I think a lot of that had to do with the TV deal with USC and UCLA coming in. You know, we had all these things going on behind the scenes, you know, Gene Smith said it last week, but you know, they want to bring the TV partners into those discussions now. They want to bring Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, and Martin Jarman, the athletic director at UCLA, into those conversations to decide those things. And so, you know, now now that you know they, they've at least made the first move in realignment, now that they've finalized this TV deal for the next seven years, now they can really start moving forward with other decisions that will affect the conference in the near future. And I think one of the first things on the agenda is going to be determining whether or not there should be divisions in the big 10. And I'd be very surprised if divisions continue to be a thing beyond this year, because I mean, you just look at what's coming in 2024 to have, if you had one division that had USC and UCLA in it and another division that didn't, the other teams in that division would immediately be at a disadvantage of the travel that would that would be associated with that. And so I, I think, you know, long term, especially when you factor in the fact that most likely this first round of realignment is not going to be the last round of realignment. It just makes more sense for there not to be two divisions in the Big Ten anymore. And, and that will allow more flexibility that you know quite frankly the tv partners want because it'll allow them to work even more closely with the big 10 to tailor the schedule in a way that 
you know, you know, you've really looked at this new TV package, the way it's set up, the Big Ten kind of needs there to be three marquee games in the conference every week right. for these TV partners to get what they're paying for. So I think you're going to see the, the schedule tailored in a way going forward to where there are, you know, three big games in the conference or the biggest games that they can put together possibly over the course of a season so that, you know, NBC – NBC doesn't want to have Rutgers versus Northwestern in prime time. They want to have, they want, you know, they (laughs) want to have Ohio state and Penn state and, you know, USC and UCLA and games like that. And so I think a lot of that is, is going to drive the way scheduling changes moving forward. Looking at, sorry, go go ahead. No, no, you first, man. Well, so I was thinking about this in light of kind of what you were talking about. I know there's been rumors about like Oregon and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it seems to me like if you add those teams, if you add USC, USC, UCLA, in addition to the considerations with regard to getting rid of like divisions and all that kind of stuff, it just feels like logistically it, you almost like have to add another West Coast team. You know what I mean? Like it, you can't just have these guys play each other 12 times. Like you've got to you've got to be able to figure out a way to incorporate these other you know, more easterly teams into the mix. And it almost feels like adding another West Coast team kind of helps balance the scheduling that they're going to have to try to do. So, I mean, do you think that's part of the consideration or is it just literally like, who's the best fit? Like, okay, we'll just put, you know, if, if damn it, if, if Maine, if the Black Bears happen to be the best fit, the Big Ten, we'll put them in there. But to me, it really does feel like they would have to find some more West Coast teams or a team just to kind of balance things out a little bit. I think it definitely is part of a consideration. I mean, I totally agree with you. Like, to me, I think it it, it makes the most logical sense at this point if you're going to get to 20 to get some more West Coast teams in there, whether that's Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Cal, whoever. I, I, I think it does make sense to, to try to basically continue to poach the best teams out of a Pac-12, and then you kind of become both the conference of the Midwest and of the West Coast. I think the reason why that hasn't happened yet is the fact that those other teams in the conference don't, aren't going to bring in the same amount of money that USC and UCLA are bringing into the conference. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's the question is, I mean, I think, I think the big 10, I mean, we all know how this works in college sports at the end of the day, when we're talking about conference realignment, this all comes down to money. And so I think the big 10's primary focus right now is, trying to figure out, okay, who else can we bring in that's going to make us even more money uh, the next time we do these TV negotiations? So we know Notre Dame is at the top of a list. After that, I think it becomes a little more wide open in terms of, you know, who else could potentially join the conference. I mean, we know they're not going to publicize it. There's a lot of different schools out there that are calling the Big Ten inquiring about their chances of getting into the conference. And so I think the big Ten's casting a pretty wide net here in terms of uh, vetting potential candidates to join the conference. But I agree with you, but I think after Notre Dame, to me, I think the most logical candidates to join the conference next would be some of those West coast schools. I'd probably put, you know, Oregon at the top of that list from an athletic standpoint, and then Stanford at the top of a list because of the academic prestige 
along with the fact that, you know, they're very, very successful in many of the Olympic sports. Now, let's also look at the TV component of this. So in both those cases, okay, you've got some TV market cachet there, but uh, why wouldn't I look at, if I'm Kevin Warren, why wouldn't I look at a, a, a Georgia Tech to crack open the Atlanta market or maybe some of those ACC schools that now, granted, their deal is a little different because of this wonky grant of rights thing that apparently lasts until 20 forever. Uh, but is do you see a future where, hey, maybe it's uh, maybe the next four teams are Oregon, Stanford, Georgia Tech, and, oh, I don't know, TCU as an example? It's possible. I think anything's possible at this point. I mean, we, we, we've seen it. You know, I, I, I know, you know, our, our colleague, you know, Matt Guttridge put together a, a big plan that he, you know, wrote up for 11 Warriors about geographic realignment and wanting to concentrate things geographically. But I think realistically, things are going the opposite direction of that. And 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 the, the geographic mix of these conferences are just going to become more and more spread apart. So I think it's very possible that if the Big Ten is ultimately going to add four teams, but those could be four teams all from completely different regions of the country. If those are the four teams that the big 10 ultimately believes it will get the most value out of. I want to so, shift gears away from the TV deal, because the reason Johnny and I wanted to have you on was because, Hey, don't look now, but college football is almost back, baby. We are at the end of football's fall camp season and games are just what? two Saturdays away from actually happening, which is kind of wild. So I want to, I want to ask you the burning question on top of all our minds. Will Ohio state be good at football this year? I think Ohio state will be good at football this year. I think they'll probably be really good at football this year. Uh, I know that, you know, jo Johnny and I uh, were, were made to look like Ohio state haters in the, well, we're fired. Uh, 11... Dan, so it's fine. Yeah. This is yeah, actually our last appearance on any podcast or piece of media for 11 warriors.com. So just, just putting that out there. So everybody knows it can send us condolences uh, for the future. Cause we didn't pick Ohio state to win the national championship. Yeah. We were the only two to not pick Ohio state to win the national Suck. championship. So, you know, and, and Andy out outnumbered in, in this, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> conversation, but not on the 11 Warriors staff as a whole. But I, I say that with the qualification that I still think Ohio State's going to make the national championship game. I still think Ohio State's going to be one of the two best teams in college football this year. Uh, predicting what's going to happen in a game in January, but hypothetical game in January right now is damn near impossible. So uh, I think Ohio State's going to be right in the thick of that conversation i mean i think all the pieces are in place for ohio state to have a chance to achieve every single one of its goals this year i mean very a ton of talent returning on offense we may have five players on offense who were named as either first or second team ap preseason all americans on monday so that tells you right there how much elite talent ohio state has on offense and then you know there's clearly a lot of optimism about this defense i mean i'm somebody like i gotta see it like we can keep hearing it, you know, in, in 12 days from now or whatever it is at this point, Notre Dame, then we're going to really see it. Then we're going to really see, okay, is this defense actually better? Because it's much easier to say that the defense is going to be a top five defense in the country than it is to actually go do it. But there does seem to be an awful lot of confidence within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, a level of confidence that simply was not there 
the last couple of years that I think is there now because of what Jim Knowles is doing with this defense. And so I think all the pieces are in place for Ohio state to have a really, really good season. And the fun, the fun of it is we're going to find out right away if Ohio state really is as good as it's being hyped up to be, because when you start off the season with a top five game, uh, any flaws that Ohio state has are going to get exposed pretty quickly. Or at least magnified, but I, you know what though? I don't know. I'm skeptical at this point, just given the amount of injuries and, and where Notre Dame is at in general, uh, how instructive that game will actually be. I'm a, I'm a little, I don't know. I, I think Ohio state gets, you know, that victory kind of running away in that one. Um, but I want to actually ask you a question that I asked chase last week and I'm, I'm curious about your perspective and, and to preface all of this with the idea that you had a team win a national championship last season who I don't think was necessarily a complete team, uh, you know, from every position to every position, but what they did do well, they did so well and so much better than everybody else. They didn't have to be perfect at every position and they, they certainly didn't need to be perfect, you know, in every game, they could just, do what they did really, really, really well, and then ultimately deliver national championships. So I say all of that because I look at this year's Ohio State team, and maybe camp has provided a little bit more perspective on this, but can Ohio State win a national championship without C.J. Stroud? Wow, that's a good that's a good question. That's um, why I asked it two weeks in a row because I only think of one good question about every month or so. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean to make sure, but I asked I, it again. I mean, the last time Ohio State won a national championship was a third string quarterback, right? So we, we know we know that it is something that's possible. I mean, it's it's such a hard question to answer because the only time we've really seen Kyle McCord play significant action was against Akron. And I believe that he probably is significantly better this year now that he has a year of experience under his belt, but it's such an unknown. So, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I think the strength of this team is going to be it's passing offense. So if you take the biggest piece out of that, I do think that would certainly hurt Ohio state's national championship hopes to a great degree, but I also don't think that I would go as far as saying they can't because I mean, there, there is so much talent. I mean, when you have a guy like Jackson stuff and Jigba, you have some of that receiving talent. You don't necessarily have to be the best quarterback in the world to, you know, utilize all that talent to your advantage. And so, you know, I think the weapons they have, you know, the talent they have across the offense, it, it's a good situation for a, a quarterback to step into no matter who it is. And so, you know, I, I think I, I don't, I don't rule it out. I mean, if, if you were going to tell me right now, CJ Stroud was out for the season, I certainly would not pick Ohio state to win the national championship, but I certainly wasn't picking Ohio state to win the national championship when Braxton Miller went out for the season in 2014 either. And so, you know, I think <laughs> Buckeye, I th how dare you, Dan, <laughs> by the I way, real quick, just to go back, I'm still salty about people giving us the business for not predicting Ohio State to win the national championship. I predicted Ohio State to lose to Virginia Tech in 2014, and people were like, how dare you, you idiot, you stupid moron. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, yeah, well, I'll always remember uh, back in uh, 2016, which was the last year before I actually worked here, 
when I was I was covering Clemson at the time and I remember reading the comments when I, I think I predicted Clemson to win something like 31-24 or something like that, which yeah. uh, spotted Ohio State about 24 points. And uh, <laughs> I, I do remember the comments. Uh, they were they were pretty rough on me. Yeah, but you know what? You deserved it because you predict Ohio State <laughs> to lose. And that's that's you can't do that. That's more. Yeah. I, and so, Dan, you get a pass. You at least put uh, Ohio State in the championship game, unlike some people <clears throat> on this podcast who uh, who picked two SEC teams in the <laughs> championship game. So I, I do. That's wanna... just because I think that's just because I think the universe hates us and wants us <laughs> to be miserable until. This and it, your... you know what? That's a karmic sign from the universe that we need to expand the college football playoff. That's oh, really what okay. it is. That's what it is. It's, it's not that it's that's in service much... of a goal. <laughs> yeah. No. Yes. That It's not that that's what I want to happen. It's just that I think that the universe is a mercurial and like evil kind of place sometimes that just wants to punish us for doing dumb things. So there you go. How about now, that? Dan, I, I will ask you uh, a question. You mentioned the defense earlier uh, and just this, we keep hearing about, there's this confidence. Uh, I contend and have all off season long. Well, really since the smoke uh, cleared on last year's playoff, that Ohio state doesn't need a top five defense to be a championship caliber team that the offense Ryan day has constructed with CJ Stroud at the helm is good enough that if the defense just sucks 30% less than it did last year, this is a championship quality team. Am I wrong? Or does that argument hold water? No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think Ohio state needs to have a top five defense to have a chance to win a national championship, because I think they're probably going to have the best offense in the country. And if you have the best offense in the country, then you just need your defense not to be a seed. So I, I think, you know, I think if the offense is what it's supposed to be, I think if you have a top 25 defense, I think you're going to have a really good chance. Now, with that being said, I think enough Ohio state coaches and players have said this top five defense thing at this point, that that's the standard we have to judge them against now. Like you, 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 you've made your bed here by saying over and over again, we expect to have a top five defense. So now to me, it's like, okay, if they don't have a top five defense, then they didn't live up to expectations because that's the expectation they set for themselves. But I also agree that I don't think they necessarily need that to have a chance to accomplish all their goals. I think I'm a bit perplexed as to why they've been banging that top five drum so hard if i think if it were me maybe it's just because i work in have worked in sales long enough and it's you know you want to under promise and over deliver i mean top five is a pretty high hurdle to clear i and and for you know a new defensive coordinator and it's not like that defensive backfield is six deep at every position or anything like i'm i'm concerned enough are there enough horses in the defensive secondary to really get the job done uh, wire to wire. What, what do you think is leading to all of this kind of like top five, top five, top five. And you, you sound like maybe you're as surprised about that as I am that they've been so vocal about it. I think they really believe it. And I don't, I don't think they'd say it if they didn't believe it. So I think that's the good news for Ohio state fans is I, I think they really believe they are going to have a top five defense. Again, you can believe it. Now you have to actually go do it. There's, there's a big difference between that. And so that's why me, I, I still have a little bit of skepticism. Like, okay, this defense was 59th in the country yeah, the last two years. Right. It's a big jump 
to top five. With that being said, we, we did see it happen in 2019 with Jeff Halfley. He took over a defense in 2018 that had been the worst in Ohio State history. Ohio State came back the next year and was number one in the nation in yards allowed per game. So it is possible. And I, I think, you know, the one thing you hear from Jim Knowles a lot, because you know, I, I think one of my hangups has been, you look at Jim Knowles's track record over the years, it's typically taken three or four years before he's really had these elite defenses. But the one thing you consistently hear from Jim Knowles is the talent here is different than I've ever worked with before, but mm-hmm. these guys can pick things up quicker. And so I think there is a genuine belief that he is going to be able to turn this defense around much quicker than he could at an Oklahoma state. I still think it's setting expectations really high to think we're going to be top five when you were nowhere even close to that last year. But I think they genuinely believe that with their talent and with a new scheme in place, that is an attainable goal. Okay. So when Jim Knowles says something like, you know, about Tommy Eichenberg, for example, he's ahead of anyone I've had in terms of the pace with which he's picked things up. I want to believe, right? I, I really do. And, and I saw Tommy Eichenberg, you know, get what, 17 tackles in the Rose Bowl. That's great. Prior to that, I think he averaged around four tackles a game. Um, I want to believe that like some light bulb, you know, came on over his head and, and he knows how to, you know, dominate at the linebacker position. I don't know that I quite believe that. And I don't know, man, based on what you've seen, do you think, have you seen that kind of mark, not just into Eichenberg in general, but I, I mean, like among everybody, do you, have you seen that? Does it look, does it have a different vibe? Does it look different than last season or past seasons? I, I think there is definitely a, a different vibe now. Uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I do, I, I do remember, you know, one quote I remember from last year, I remember talking to court Williams last August and he was talking to the media and he was talking about, we're going to be scary on defense. Like and yeah. he, he was like, he's going on and on about like how great they were going to be on defense. And then first game of a season, it's pretty clear. Okay. Nothing's really changed here. So that that's the whole thing. It's like, we got to see it a little bit before I can really be like, yeah, you know, this, this is different. I mean, you can, you can see a practice, but there's a difference between practice and the game. And so I, I think, you know, I think the thing that's giving them a lot of confidence is that the defense has been winning more in practice. They're going up against a really talented offense and you talk to the offensive guys. I mean, they're not going to say it outright, but you, you, you could kind of tell if you read between the lines of what they say that, Practice was pretty easy for the offense the last couple of years because they knew what the defense was going to do and they were simply better. And so I think the offense won a lot in practice last year. And then you you saw that translate over to the games where the offense was uh, scoring a, a lot and the defense was giving up a lot of points. I think this year in practice, at least based on what we hear, I mean, we don't get to see everything, but at least based on what we hear, it, it's been more even in terms of a battle. And so I think the you know the thing about practice is it can always go both ways. You could go, oh, is the the offense struggling a little bit? Maybe not quite as uh, strong as we think they'd be at this point in the year. But I think the hope is that the offense is just as good as it was last year. The defense is just that much better that they're able to hold their own against this elite offense, which last year's defense couldn't. 
I was looking at the when you you guys were laughing earlier about uh, me looking like the big homer uh, picking Ohio State to win the Natty and CJ Stroud to win the Heisman and so on. But in in reading up on my picks there for who would be in the playoffs, uh, I thought Josh's piece the piece at the site was really interesting this week talking about the number of five star players and, and Matt Guthridge had done a really nice piece that you worked with Matt on uh, Dan about breaking down the roster by recruiting stars, just how much more talented Ohio state continues to be than the rest of its conference combined in this case, uh, 13, 14, sorry, 14, five-star players on the current Ohio state roster. Uh, the rest of the big 10 has nine combined. Uh, and, and Josh noted, this is where I'm going here with the playoff question. The only teams that have anywhere near as many uh, five-star players on the roster, Alabama and Ohio State both have 14, Georgia has 16, and Clemson has 12. Any reason to think those aren't the four teams most likely to be in the playoff this year when the dust settles? Well, I have three of a four in in the playoff. I I went with Utah as my fourth playoff team over Clemson. And, you know, I think I think I would say to that that I think if you're going to save a four teams that have the most potential to win the national championship, it's absolutely those four. I, I, I tend to believe that Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia are going to be a cut above Clemson still still this year. I'm, I'm not sure Clemson is quite as strong as where it was two to three years ago, but, you know, that that could change. I mean, if, if, if I mean, obviously, the big question there is DJ Uyunglele really underperformed expectations last year. So yeah. can he can he take that next step and and really become that elite quarterback that he's supposed to be? If if he does, then then they'll have a chance. But you know, I think you know th- th- there's going to be a little more competition for Clemson in the ACC this year. I think you know there are teams like NC State and and you know maybe Pitt. I mean, I think there's there's a few other teams in the ACC that could challenge him a little bit and so i'm i'm going with clemson not making the playoffs although it wouldn't surprise me at all if they do but i tend to believe those first three teams that you named alabama ohio state and georgia if the national champion doesn't come from that trio of teams i would be very surprised i just think that ohio state is never going to win anything ever again (laughs) and they're going to lose all their games. Wow. <laughs> and not even get to a bowl this year. Oh, Johnny, I don't know, man. Your, I, your joy, your joy is overwhelming. No, it's just, it, the thing is, it, this is my overall point. And this is, I guess, maybe my last question for you, Dan. Um, but my overall point here is that th- there's a lot going on in college football right now. Ohio State, I think, is a very good team, top to bottom. And, and, and you look at what they have. Um I guess what I would want to know from you is if you're looking at, let's not even go national. I just want to talk about the big 10, right? Ohio state is not defending big 10 champions. Okay. They're, they're coming off of a Michigan loss. Let's look at what's right in front of Ohio state right now. You've got a, a, I think a schedule that sets up relatively favorably for them. I think they, they are, they are favored in every game going forward. Um, but they still have to take down Michigan and, and albeit you get that, that team at home, which is great. Um, is this a team that's equipped to do that right now? Is that, is that going to be a more 
dangerous game than we've given it credit for in the past in part because of Michigan's success against Ohio state last year, or is that going to kind of regress back to the mean and Ohio state's going to reassert their dominance? I, we, I guess what I'm saying is, are we missing the forest for the trees here? Isn't there a pretty obvious, you know, opponent that Ohio state should be focusing on more than the Clemson's and Alabama's of the world? Well, I mean, no, no doubt that, I mean, the, the number one thing, I mean, you, you, you talk about if, if they're going to accomplish any of these goals we're talking about, the number one thing is, yeah, they, they got to beat Michigan this year. They got to get back to the top of a big 10. So no doubt about that. And I, I do think in terms of you talk about a big 10 crown, I do think Michigan is going to be their top competition for that again, because, you know, I I've heard people think that, you know, Michigan's going to take a big step back and I'm not really understanding where that's coming from. Cause if you look at, I mean, offensively, I think they're set up very well to be the second best offense in the big 10. Now I do think they will take a step back defensively because they don't have any Aiden Hutchins anymore. They, they lost a lot of really good players from last year's defense and they're pretty young on that side of a ball. And so I, I do think they will take a step back defensively from where they were last year, but I think offensively, they're still going to be a really dangerous team. You know, Cade McNamara is back. I think Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are going to be a really good one, two punch at running back. They're still probably going to have one of the better offensive lines in the country. They have a lot of receivers, none of whom are real superstars, but who played last year and had big games at times. And so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's certainly still the game that you got to look at and go. They, they really got to they really got to win that. And it, it's not going to be a piece of cake. I, I still will be really surprised if Ohio State doesn't come out and play its best football in that game this year and win that game this year, because, uh, you know, I, I think I think that loss was such a wake up call for Ohio State that. You know, I, I'd be shocked if they don't go into that game, especially if it being at home and, and play their best football of the year. But uh, no doubt. I mean, that's that's that game. You you got to get past that game first before you can really worry about winning a national championship or anything like that. That's where we're going to leave it. Dan Hope, who is also if you're not already uh, listening, you should host of the real pod Wednesdays podcast, real beat Wednesdays podcast. you got to listen to, uh, on Wednesday that that's the place where it all happens. The magic, uh, week by week, we'll get you through the season from the guys who are covering this team, uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, Dan, thanks for joining us on the dubcast. We look forward to having you back during the season to talk about Ohio state, uh, beating the, the tar out of everybody in sight and setting up for a magical run to the playoffs. Looking forward to it then. Johnny, with that, I think it is time for us to go to our favorite segment of the program, the much uh, duplicated, often, imi often imitated, never duplicated, Ask Us Anything, the Dubcast, uh, Ask Us Anything, the whole shebang brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, hats, t-shirts, stickers, and boy, are there some fun new t-shirts just in time for the season. You'll find them at drygoods.11warriors.com. Mailbag's pretty full this week. What do we have, my friend? So we want to remind you that if you want to ask us anything, you can do so by uh, sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And yes, it is quite a full mailbag. So let's get into it and, and, you know, just answer all of your amazing questions that you've sent to us. Uh, this first one here comes uh, from uh, Eric, who uh, says, I really enjoyed Andy sharing the way his dad made breakfast for him when he was growing up. Johnny's views on breakfast seem more dubious, but since uh, you know, he's part of the dubcast, I'll let him opine, opine as well. <laughs> That's fair. Um, 
I, you know, look, I, I just, I'm a very, I just don't like eating a lot of food in the morning and I'm just, a, I eat a banana. And if I work out in the morning, which I do, uh, fairly often, I gotta I'll give add, you mad props for that. Cause I've never been able to do it. You, I, I you and I, I have, have to, that's the only, that's the only, literally the only time that I have. I, I know. And that's why I admire you and respect you so much. Cause I, I would, I, I would do get a lot more done if if i were able to to do that with the the discipline you do and i and i know that's pretty universally held get up and and go to the gym i always have always 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 much enjoyed like two three four o'clock workout uh, i just have never enjoyed working so my hat's off to you dubious uh breakfast advice or not <laughs> <laughs> well i do add so okay so I, I you know i get up at five go go to the gym there at 5 30 working out come back i'll add i'll add a cup of yogurt <laughs> to, the, to the banana uh so anyway the questions uh, that we have here from eric is breakfast a worthy meal of uh, meal worthy of feasting uh, and if yes, what are the essential elements of your ultimate breakfast feast? And again, yeah. look, I, I'll just say this real quick. I, I get sick sometimes if I eat too much too early. However, barring that, like, let's say maybe I haven't eaten a long time or something like that, or, or maybe there's an event going on. I absolutely think breakfast is a meal worthy of feasting. I just can't do it. I, I feel like it just makes me feel lethargic and gross and sick. Um, and I just can't eat anything for the rest of the day if I eat too much too early. However, however, sometimes it's worth doing so. And I'll say essential elements of the ultimate breakfast feast. I I, I would say, I mean, I'm not, the, the meats are fine and, and I'll, I'll take the bacon and the sausage and that's great. Uh, I really think that the ultimate elements for me for a breakfast feast are the uh, the grains, the breads. So you got to have like your pancakes, your waffles, your croissant, you know, bagels, all that kind of stuff. That that to me is what makes a fantastic breakfast feast. You got to have the excellent pastries and breads that you get. And and you know what? When my wife and I we did our honeymoon in uh, in Switzerland, Italy. And the places that we went, I mean, oh my God, some of the best breakfasts I've ever had in my entire life. Just absolutely bonkers. So yeah, that's what I would say to that question. Yeah, my answer is very different. You won't be surprised. Uh, but <laughs> I will say this, the, the two summers I spent in Europe, I, as somebody who very much cherishes more of the traditional American breakfast, I really enjoyed continental European breakfasts. Uh, something about... The really roll, good. yeah. Uh, there's just a thing, you know, having those spreads of like deli meats and cheeses, and like you say, all of those breads and pastries and so they on. Put out everything, man. It's yeah, wild. yeah. It, yes, you very... feel like you feel like you're a, you know, you feel like you're a hobbit. Well, and the and the heck of it is that first that first day or two when there's not like a chafing dish full of scrambled eggs and bacon <laughs> and sausage yeah. out in the hotel breakfast area you're like what the heck is going on here where's breakfast what is this and then over like by the time the trip was over i was like man i'm kind of going to miss this and the, you know yep. always large quantities of real butter i love that that the mm, europeans yeah. do real butter um and just that uh, yeah yeah so i i can definitely get on board with that that said my i'll give you two examples of Andy's go-to ultimate breakfast. Um, and, and I'm going to use 
restaurant examples just for the sake of something we can all understand and bond over. One, one prototype of the ultimate breakfast to me is the Bob Evans Homestead breakfast. That includes eggs. I like mine lightly scrambled or scrambled soft. Do not overcook the eggs. Uh, home fries, not hash browns, home fries with uh, sausage links, not patties, links, and of course, the biscuits and gravy. I contend that Bob Evans, who was the sausage king of the Midwest, uh, <laughs> anybody will get that um, reference, the sausage king of the Midwest, but Bob Evans, who was the sausage king of the Midwest, makes an incredible sausage gravy. Love it, love it, love it. So what I do with mine is I put the sausage gravy over the home fries, and then I get honey and put the honey on the biscuits. Mm. That to me is a fantastic uh, breakfast. Now, the other variation, because I'm a Waffle House junkie, as loyal listeners of the program will know, my order at the Waffle House, I think also constitutes an ultimate form of breakfast. And that is T-bone, medium rare, triple scrambled cheese, hash brown, scattered, smothered, double covered, chunk capped. That's the way to do it. Boom. Put it in the books. Wow. That's I, I you know, we rely on you for your breakfast information, <laughs> among other things. And I feel like you just justified that. I mean, you did it. I mean, that's excellent. That's that's fantastic. You can tell I've been to Waffle House once or twice. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, a couple times like that. Um, all right. So this next one, another food related one uh, from our good friend Alvin, um, who wants to know you and your partner have had a long day at work. And you need some grub for you and the family. What delivery food, specific restaurant and menu items are you ordering? Um, so if money is no, uh, you know, consideration here and, and I put the caveat that I'm not going to include like a pizza because that's easy and obvious. Uh, I really like, there's an Indian place near where I live called Everest and it's expensive as hell. It's, it's too much money. And I think a lot of Indian places are generally overpriced. However, um, I love Everest. They have a really great combination of like Indian and, and Nepali cuisine. Um, and their chicken palak, which is like basically a, a spinach sauce um, that they make, is just one of the best things I've ever had. It's so freaking good. So that with some naan is, from Everest is like, it's a perfect end of the week capper, in my opinion. Get, have a beer with that. Oh, my God. Can't beat it. I love it. The This question is one I struggle with because I abhor the modern state of food service because of uh our reliance on on delivery whether it be you know uber eats or grubhub or whatever oh sure yeah it it just drives me nuts that that really is the straw that stirs the drink for a lot of food service establishments like you know you walk into a place and particularly if you it's, if it's like a quick casual place where you want to sit down and have a meal and you're you're almost like a second class citizen because they're dealing with so many to go orders, delivery orders or whatnot. And, and it just drives me nuts. It just drives me up to the wall. Um, I, so we don't order a lot of delivery typically, even, even pizza. Now I must admit we're spoiled in that we live in an area where I could walk to literally five different pizza places from sure. my house. Uh, we live dangerous half a block, that's good. half a block from a Chipotle, half a block from three sub shops. So we do get takeaway, but I don't do delivery. So probably the thing we do the most frequently is Chipotle, just because it's, I mean, I'm, I kid you not half a block from our house. So if we have those days where we're like, so we won't do pizza more than once a week, you know, that's just, that's even though we have so many different pizza options. Um, 
so it's it's chipotle typically yeah. well, it's not a bad not a bad choice um okay so this next one here is from kevin who says who do you think will be the unsung hero of the football team this coming season hmm jim Knowles. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah i i mean we will not talk about jim Knowles. he, he will not he will not be an uns- yeah he will not be an unsung hero if he if he is a hero he will be a loudly sung hero yeah. there's but i would say in the spirit of the question um of of like he to me he's the guy that's got to make it or break it so what that means is it's probably somebody on defense who we haven't talked about already you know there's going to be some star that emerges um i guess that doesn't make them an unsung hero that's really tough it's you know who it's gonna be it's gonna be tommy eichenberg it's gonna be tommy (laughs) eichenberg there you go i'm done i honestly i here's what i would say i think the offensive line is going to be a lot more interesting than people will give it credit for being. And I think they'll be solid. I think they'll be good. And because of that, people won't talk about them that much, but they lost, you know, I think some, some really legitimate, significant talent um, this past season. And I, again, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be legit, but they're also dealing with some guys who uh, maybe don't have the kind of experience that maybe Ohio state is used to at that position. And because of that, people won't know, you know, who some of these dudes are. Uh, they'll be looking at, you know, guys on the line and not recognizing the names on the back of jerseys. Um, but they'll keep CJ Stroud clean and he'll throw for 5,000 yards. And I don't know that they'll get the credit that they're due. So I, I really would recommend that people check out and, and see who all is, is starting and playing at any given point in time. And just kind of familiarize yourself uh, with the names on there because they're going to be, you know, like Whipler and all and the and like all these guys. I mean, there's there's going to be some legit talent there that I think people need to take notice of. Um, all right, this next question here. This is from Mike. So, as the 145th edition of the Best Damn Band in the Land finished tryouts a couple of days ago, I was wondering if you uh, what would be a halftime show idea or theme you would like to see them perform at some point in your life. As a alum of the best damn band in the land, I can tell you that members have a show meeting with directors in the spring to pitch ideas, which can be television, movie, musicals, or any kind of theme. Keep up the good work. What kind of theme would you would you go for there, Andy? You know, that's that's really tough because I feel like anything that I would have thought of, they've done in the last several years. Like I just continue to be blown away by the absolute mind-bending creativity of the band the, the the creative team that puts these shows together yeah it, it just and then implement real... that and implement that in like oh what week like after week after week? week yeah it's it, it it really blows my mind and and i say that you know i didn't march in the band at ohio state but i played sousaphone um for five and a half years in uh high school marching band i, I started um uh started in eighth grade and marched with the high school band uh all five years of high school and then the following summer while i was at ohio state uh went back to europe and marched for three weeks with um uh, a national honor band um and so let's like say say five and a half years might as well say of marching sousaphone that's really tough like to to do that so it just ended up doing one show to the caliber that ohio state's band pulls off every week blows my mind in and of itself uh to do it you know every week all season long just kills me so i don't know that i have any recommendations because i just as somebody who couldn't possibly be a bigger fan of the best hand band in the land 
I'm just blown away every week, just every week. I think what here's the thing that their skill level is so high and the intricacy with which they do, you know, their, their performances and all that kind of stuff is so detailed and fantastic to watch. I want them to get as obscure as humanly possible <laughs> because I think that would be cool. I think if they had like, okay, this week's, this week's OSU marching band halftime show is going to be about hit nineties TV show, Frasier. And it's like, <laughs> and it's them like doing a, you know, a, a all brass band version of, I, hey, baby, I hear the blues are call it like that would be hilarious. And also really kind of fascinating to see them like i don't know like the couch or the chair that fraser's dad sits on and then like eddie jumps on the thing and then i don't know just random very highly specific things that they execute you know the x-files let's just have a whole thing devoted to very specific episodes of the x-files i just i think that would be fascinating denver the last dinosaur i don't know my point is, is that dinosaur, they're so good wow. yeah they can well, make anything interesting and see this is where i struggle because like one that popped into my head as you were talking was oh you know it'd be cool if you do saturday morning cartoons and oh my god yeah that'd be great immediately like the um inspector gadget theme song popped into my head now part of this is because uh the stunning mrs vance and the little tyke and i have been watching for reasons that i don't think any of us could articulate youtube videos of peter cullen and frank welker answering questions at like transformers con 2017 <laughs> or something and and if you don't That's know funny. those names peter cullen is the voice of optimus prime and yeah and frank welker is the the voice of optimus uh, i'm sorry of megatron, megatron uh, in yeah. addition to a bunch uh, of welker has stuff. like 850 you know cartoon voice credits yeah. uh, over the years he, he did uh uh fred of the the scooby-doo and the gang mm-hmm. um uh just you, the god you think about it frank welker probably voiced it and so anyway we've been, so i've been thinking about all of the cartoons that frank welker was in back in the day uh so yeah but but i say that and i googled you know osu marching band cartoons and oh here in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, well, did, they did a halftime theme now it was looney tunes uh okay Bunny but Man i want saturday so i want like but, sam and max freelance police hong kong fooey you know like let's see i was going Jabber i was going jaw. well I, I was going with uh inspector gadget i'm thinking like ones with great theme songs so like inspector gadget um you know thundercats gi joe transformers like some the the classic like eighties cartoons uh, of my, you know, my formative years. So let's let's make that happen. Yeah, I think that would be sick. I agree with that. Uh, by the way, do one an- of all John Williams music, and and you're going to do do one of all John Williams music because John Williams is the greatest. Um, the I feel greatest like they have music. to have done that at some point. They probably have. Oh, uh, here, do uh, do Danny Elfman if you want. Then oh, Danny and then, Elfman, like you're great. You're, that would was, be really good can you tell i just rewatched the the classic 1989 batman uh starring michael Keaton. well you know what danny elfman also i believe had a huge hand in nightmare before christmas and that oh, would any be tim cool... burton movie danny elfman probably did the score yeah and but i'm saying nightmare before christmas and if you want to do that like you know against penn state in late october nice that would be pretty sick I think you could cool. see and that's the thing i love about doing i was thinking john williams so every john williams score you know you could do you do a picture from the movie oh right? they got so you could do jurassic park you could do a dinosaur kind of thing. and they've done a lot yeah. of this of course but by the um, way i just thought of this uh i 
have they done a Lord of the Rings themed? I that's a great question. I don't know. If they haven't, they need to do that. They need to absolutely do that because that would be that would that's that's a necessity. I think they need, especially with the Rings of Power coming out, they got they got to get that taken care of. Okay, according to according to my according to my uh, quick Google research, uh, they did Hollywood blockbusters versus Penn State October twenty sixth of two thousand thirteen. Now the whole show wasn't um lord of the rings but that was one of okay but they need to do the whole show on lord of the rings i'm sorry that's that that is that does not cut especially almost 10 years ago come on Mm -hmm. they they Mm -hmm. time's right let's go uh by the way this is a uh a anecdote from matt minneapolis who says i witnessed slash participated in this happening at the university of wisconsin when mike kelly was a starting point guard by the way this is in regards to the football team beating the basketball team in hoops uh, I believe this happened in 1998 outside the uh, Southeast Recreational Facility. It wasn't close. To be fair, Chris Chambers may have been on the basketball team at that point. And Aaron Gibson was unstoppable in the paint. Kelly was salty for months. That's really funny. <laughs> That's that. pretty great. I enjoy that quite a bit. Uh, thank you for that anecdote. That's great. Uh, because honestly, like, again, first of all, anytime you're going to bring in some throwback uh wisconsin stuff wisconsin basketball i love that (laughs) and uh that's an excellent story that's just very good okay uh last one here this is from josh uh joshua f who just wants to know quite simply what is one hobby that you've always been interested in diving into but never pursued for whatever reason this one is uh anything to do with music so i mentioned earlier i played i played the the tuba and the sousaphone i started playing the trombone i probably took I'll, I'll say a year, maybe 18 months worth of piano lessons. Um, but I, I would say I would have loved to have learned to play an, what I'll call a non-band, not like, like a non-high school band instrument proficiently, like to where you could just go down. I think about the guys I went to high school and college with who could sit down and play guitar. Yeah. And chicks, you know, cool really, talent, really cool dug talent. that. Um, my, what got me thinking about this is the, the little tyke, um, has just gotten her first violin for elementary oh, school orchestra. Yeah. And so that was one of those that my dad used to talk about that. He wished that he could play the fiddle, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, just, you listen to a lot of country music. There's a lot of great fiddle and country music or bluegrass or whatever. And that just seemed like an instrument that you could pick up of an evening, and you know play and people would dance and it would be fun i i would love to be able to play some instrument like that whether it's piano uh guitar fiddle where you could just because you don't you know you don't in your 40s just take out the old sousaphone and like, <laughs> hey guys do um, check this out you know i i have not played that instrument in 20 years you know and that's kind of sad um but so so that would be my that would be my thing that would be the one i think i would i would if I could do it over again, or, or maybe had fantasized about taking up, that would be it. Maybe I'll learn to play the bagpipes. Who knows? Yeah. I, I agree with you. Musical, anything I think would be pretty cool to be able to pick up and do. Um, I'm going to actually do a little head fake and say fly fishing. Like I really enjoyed fishing when I was a kid. I really, really liked it. And I, you know, don't really have a chance to do much of it anymore, obviously just because, you know, I got a kid and all this other stuff. It's just, and, and I live in the middle of a large city and there are places to fish, but not really. I mean, I, I want to be on a nice, like I want to, I've done like ocean, you know, fishing and stuff. I, I want to be on a big proper lake. I want to go to like one of the, the great lakes and do fishing there and that kind of stuff. Um, 
but anyway, fly fishing always seemed like really, really fun and badass. And I, uh, love like the kind of technicality behind it and the, you know, the, the, I guess, craftsmanship that kind of goes into it. Um, so that's kind of a, a skill and a sport that I always wish I could have picked up, but not really a lot of opportunities for that. So, um, I don't know, maybe one day in the future, I think that would be pretty sweet. So anyway, that's ask us anything. Thank you for sending those in. Those are again, another excellent slate of questions. We really appreciate it and uh, we'll keep answering them. So keep sending them in. All right. This show's running long owing to the fact that we are less than two weeks away from the kickoff of the Ohio state university football season. But I do want to finish with this. Uh, bigger comeback story of the week, Johnny Genner, was it a for Ohio State quarterback <laughs> Quinn Ewers named the starter at Texas? I'm not saying it was because of booster dollars, but it could have been. Or was I'm it saying B, was it B Urban Meyer returning to Fox's big noon kickoff pregame show? Oh, no, it's definitely big... Quinn Ewers coming back from the dead. Look, Urban Meyer was always going to get some kind of media, you know, deal. They, they, I'm sure are extremely happy to have him back on big noon kickoff and in fairness to him he was extremely good at that he was good and he should have before just kept his doing ill-fated it. trip to the nfl which yes he should have just kept doing that and not you know the other stuff that he was terrible at um but yeah i gotta say it's quinn yours back from the dead and uh apparently the starting quarterback and we'll see how long that lasts i'm gonna guess way longer than it should so that should be fun which is also this week's sign that texas my friends is not in fact back <laughs> you heard it here first texas is not back that's going to do it for this episode of the 11 dubcast i hope you had as much fun as we did the time is drawing nigh my friends we will uh, have one more one more episode of the dubcast before talking about an actual high state football game stay tuned for that until then i'm andy i'm johnny we'll see you on the 11 dubcast